Hey, just a show of hands this morning to get us started here. How many of you, when you watch a video like that, how many of you would prefer the first half of that video to the second part? Anybody? Right? A hectic, crazy day, lots of stuff going on. Absolutely not. And I love, uh, when I first watched that video, my first reaction afterwards was just to go, whew, and I heard somebody over in this part of the area as we were just watching that, made that same noise, because that is a hectic day, isn't it? It's a busy busy day. How many of us can identify, and maybe it doesn't look exactly like that, maybe your day, your day looks entirely different than that, but that was a lot of stuff. How many of us, at least in some way, right, when we watch something like that, we say, whew, how many of us can relate to being in an experience or having a day where at just the end of the day, all you can do is just crash? Any of us have an experience like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes I wonder if that's not an issue, an issue that's something that Jesus would have something to say about it, because I think it's probably true. Far too many of us can identify with that, and it's part of living in our culture today. And we're going to talk about that in, in just a second, but first I want to echo what John said this morning during announcements. Good morning. Uh, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Andy Hermanson, and I'm also part of the staff here uh, at Hope Des Moines. And and uh, we're, we're going to talk about this, this, this pace that we run, this life that we seem to live. And uh, we're talking about that because we're going to talk about a question today. It's called, how do I find true rest? And I do not think it is no more ironic that, we, uh, that I'm up here preaching on this today because I decided to go on a camping trip with my little kids all weekend. And I just, I did not, I have not slept well for like three nights. How many of you last night heard that, I think it was a thunderstorm, maybe it was a hurricane or something, right? I could not get to bed since then. So how ironic that I'm sitting up here, I'm like yawning in the front row as the worship band is just rocking it today. And I'm thinking, all right, so let's get up and let's preach on rest. <laughs> I watched that video. The second part of the guy is going on the beach and I think, you know, that would be really nice when I have energy. But to be honest with you right now, bed just sounds really good. And the reality is that there's probably a lot of us in this room right now that feel that exact same way. So we're talking about this question this morning. How do I find rest? And not just rest, but real, true, honest, robust, helpful, re-energizing rest. We're doing a whole sermon series on questions like this, questions uh, that are important to our faith and maybe questions we already know the answer to, but we just seem to forget sometimes. And I think most of us have probably had an experience in our life where we realize we need to slow down. Like, we just need to take a break. We need to let off the gas pedal for just a little bit. Maybe it's not even a physical kind of rest, but maybe it's also this other kind of rest that Jesus talks about, this emotional, right? This, this rest for our souls. And I think it's an important question for us to look at as a church because it, because it is key and also because it happens to be Labor Day weekend. Coincidence? I think not. Right? But it's an important question because at some point all of us have to ask this question. All of us come to the end of our rope and we say, how can I find rest? There's a quote that one of my friends keep put, keeps putting on Facebook and it says something along the lines of, right, rather than needing to go on vacation to recover from the rest of your life, why don't you just live a life that doesn't need vacations? And I just want to slap him around every time I read that and I say, help me figure this out because I have not figured it out. Most of us if not all of us come to the point where we have to ask and try and answer that question because the reality is that all of us need rest. And it's almost like there's so many of us that ask this question that have this fundamental need to figure out how to rest. It's almost like 
God maybe designed us to take a break every once in a while. It's almost like there's something within us as God formed us that made us think, you know, there's going to be an art to this and there's going to be some difficulty with it. And that's where I want to start this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to grab those. I want you to open them up to Genesis chapter one. And I know I started in Genesis chapter one two weeks ago. I'm not going to preach the exact same sermon that I did two weeks ago. I'll give you a hint on the page again. Genesis one, it's the first page of the Bible. So you can look in there for that. And I'm going to go to the exact same verse that I started with two weeks ago. Genesis 1, verse 26. And I think, as, as I was talking two weeks ago about Genesis, Genesis is becoming my favorite book of the Bible. Because it goes back, you scrape off all the junk that's in our lives, all the things that have happened to us, all of the, the negative parts of our story as, as people of God. If you go back to the way it was before all that stuff came, you find it in Genesis. There is a lot in Genesis, and it's becoming one of my favorite books of the Bible because it tells us something about the fundamental human experience, something that we need to understand. So starting in verse 26, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Last time I told you to hit the person next to you and say, hey, did you know you're made in the image of God? So go ahead and do that again, because we all need a reminder of that. All right? It's good, and that makes you beautiful, that makes you worthy, it makes you lovable, it makes you good, it makes you powerful. But then God does something interesting after he does that. He says, let us make human beings in, in our image to be like us, and he begins to describe them. He says, they will reign over the fish in the sea. He's, he's telling us about what we're going to do once we've been created, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild Animals on the earth, the small animals that scurry along the ground, those little guys that are run all over the place. So God created human beings in his own image. And in the image of God, he created them female, male and female. He created them. As we were created, we were created in this blueprint of God. And there's something amazing about that. But it's interesting that the job that, that we're given, it's not just to be created and just to hang around all day, right? God has created us to do something. There's a fundamental need within us to, to produce something, to bear fruit, to, to experience the fruit of our labor. It's no accident that we are people who are constantly looking for things to do. In fact, it's in our DNA, but as the story unfolds, as we continue through the rest of chapter 1, something even more amazing, something more interesting comes to be. And I think as we're answering this question, what does it mean? Where do I find true rest, real rest? Not just like I'm faking it and I'm kind of recharging my batteries, but that, that deep sense of peace in your soul. There's something that we can learn here in this first chapter of Genesis. So let's continue the story. Starting in verse 28. God gives them even more of their job description. He says, then God blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God says, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant. I've given you all these trees. You have all this food. You have everything that you need. And once God has given them their job... Then we get to verse 31. Not just that he's created all of these different things, but he's given them their role in the picture of God's masterpiece. Then we get to verse 31. And God looked over all he had made and he saw it was very good. 
And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. And I'm going to jump to the next chapter there in verse 1 of chapter 2 as well, because I think this says something, and we need to pay attention to it. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. Again, not when God had just created us, but when God had given us the ability to go and to bear fruit. So God's been at work. He's been working for an entire week, right? Well, he's got six days that he's punched in and he's punched out and he's got all this stuff and it says that it's very good. It's completed. And human beings, they've not only been created, but they've been given their job description, right? They sat through the two-hour employee orientation of taking care of the Garden of Eden, right? They figured out how to make the shrubs look pretty and water the grass and, and take care of the fruit. And so you think, man, if they've been sitting through training all day and they've been created the sixth day, man, whew, it was a doozy. What are they going to do on day seven, right? They're going to go and they're going to get to work, right? Well, maybe not. Because I think also we need to pay attention to this. What happens as, as the seventh day begins? It says, on the seventh day, God had finished the work of creation. So he rested from all of his work and God blessed the seventh day. He declared it holy because it was a day when he rested. It was a day when he rested from all of his work of creation. So let's get this story straight. God creates a whole bunch of things. He starts with land and sea and he moves into organisms and he has birds and mammals and all sorts of things. And the crowning jewel of this creation is humanity. And he gives them their job and they go to work. On the very first day, God just lets them take a siesta. That sounds like a pretty good job, doesn't it? And we have to ask ourselves as we look at this, why is this story written like this? What does it mean? And here's what I'm curious. I wonder if it doesn't mean something like this. And I think this applies to you and I in our struggle to find rest today. What if? Maybe what would the consequences be? What if God in his wisdom designed us not to rest from our work, but rather to work from our rest. I want to say that again because it's, it's a subtle difference in the language. I want to say it kind of the opposite way as well. So I just want to try and confuse you this morning. Let's see if I can do that. All right. What if you were created to work from rest rather than rest from your work? See, so often we go through life and we have this mindset and we say, what do I have to get done? Right? We get up in the morning, we hit that alarm clock. Is that not the most annoying noise in the world? Nails on a chalkboard, alarm clocks, right here for me. Right? We hit that alarm clock, we get up and we get going, and we don't just say, like, ah, I've got the whole day to rest. Right? We think, oh my gosh, I'm already late. What am I going to do? And we take off running. Whatever it is that we have to do. What if we were created to work from rest rather than rest? from our work. I think that's exactly what God is saying to us this morning as we read Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And this is fascinating to me. This is fascinating to me that we are to be the kind of people who work from our rest rather than rest from our work. Because to be honest, if you look at my life, if you look at a lot of our lives in this room, if you look at our culture, you would never have a clue that that is the way that God has designed it. 
Because here's the reality for you and I this morning. We are part of a culture. We are a people who are in need of rest. And not just physical rest, but the emotional rest. And I just got to give you some examples of this. In 2012, just a year and a half ago or so, UCLA, that is the university out in Los Angeles, they did a study. And they want to get a snapshot of what it means today to be a modern family, right? To have the 2.5 kids and the whatever, right? The dog and... Uh, everything else, right? They wanted to get a snapshot of what that means in 2012 to look like. So they monitored 32 families. I mean, they just stocked them, right? They, they asked them to fill out journey, journals and diaries and write down everything they did and everything they went. They put GPS trackers on their cars so they could get a sense of what their routines were like. They took pictures of every part of their house, right? Even the closets where you throw all the junk that you don't want anybody to ever see. They took pictures of all this and eventually they compiled it all together and they put it into a book that you can buy on Amazon.com. You know what they found? I won't even just tell you what they found. Well, I will in a second. But I just want to give you the word that the researchers came up with to describe the situation of the typical American family right now. Disheartening. As a nation, these researchers, objective as they could be, they looked at all of the facts, they looked at all the things, and they said, it's disheartening. It's harder today to be a family than it has ever been. And we're not moving forwards, but in fact, we're moving backwards. Here's what they base this on. Most families don't eat together, at least not every night. And when they do, it's often frozen and it's convenient, and they sacrifice nutrition to save uh, an average of 15 minutes per meal. Right? Many invest in recreational spaces like, like decks or patio furniture or like big master bedrooms where they could have cozy nooks to like sit and hang out. They never use them. Majority of the kids never went outside in their research. I thought this one was interesting and it kind of has to do with rest. I think it, it provides byproducts that get in the way of rest. 25% of these people, only 25% of these 32 families could actually park their car in their garage because they had so much junk in there. That's a lot of stuff. Where does all the money come to buy things like that? Two jobs, three jobs, four jobs. These, they were all over the place in terms of their time. They were amassing all of this stuff and yet they were dying and moving backwards on the inside, they even monitored, this is just creepy to me, they monitored the hormone levels by saliva samples of the parents to figure out how stressed they were, and they were off the charts. Off the charts. Disheartening is the word that they use to describe it. It's not good. It's not good, and that's just one part of our society. We have, all of us have lots of things that we can worry about, and not all of us are, are in families or even situations where we have lots of income or where we have things that we need to take care of or, or tend to. But we all have plenty of things to worry about. How can we pay our bills? Will our loved ones be safe? How am I going to battle this illness? Where's my next meal going to come from? Most Americans right now are either sleep-deprived, overworked, overscheduled, stressed out, or all of the above. Can anybody relate to that and give me an amen? <laughs> right? I know, Mr. Positivity again this morning. It's just not good. It's just, it's not good. We are a people who need some rest and there are consequences. This When we don't get what we need, there are consequences for it. 
right? Healthcare costs continue to rise. Relationships begin to break down. Things fall apart. The wheels come off. And this week as I was thinking about this and I had found this survey and was thinking about it and looking at my own life and I'm sitting out there with my son trying to enjoy a Sabbath, trying to live this stuff out, right, before I get up here and preach about it. And Cal and I are sitting in the front yard and, and I just kind of looked around and I just had this deeply spiritual thought. When I think about where we're at as a country and how most of us walk around at different times in our lives just completely running on fumes and in need of rest, all I could think about was, was my front lawn, right? Because right now, it's the ugliest looking lawn on the entire block. Because I am the guy that grew up on a farm and refuses to pay actual money to water my yard so I can have green grass, right? It's this nasty brown color. And when my kids go out and they start running around in it, they kind of run out, they're all excited, and they start going like this because it doesn't feel like a lawn right now. I mean, it feels like a wire brush, why is it like that? Yes, I'm cheap. Maybe you could accuse me of that. But it's like that because I haven't given it what it needs to thrive. And it's dying. And if we don't attend to this, if we don't admit this fact that we are a nation who needs some rest, then we are headed in that very same direction. We are a people who need to learn how to work from our rest rather than rest from our work. So what's the deal with this? Why, why are we like this, right? Because like I said, I've had multiple times in my life where I've said, I need to change this, but what is it that keeps resetting this back to this default where I find myself desperately in need of rest, yawning as I'm coming up to preach? And I could blame a thunderstorm, but I'm sure that it's more than that. It turns out that it's a heart thing. It turns out that it's a hard thing, and it comes back to our Bible reading for today. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you grab John chapter 15. It's in towards the back there. And it's a passage that was read here beautifully for us this morning, and it's a passage that speaks to this fundamental need that we have for rest. And in verse 5, there's something that jumped out at me this week that talks about why we keep finding ourselves in this trap. In verse 5, Jesus, he's given his instructions to his disciples. He's kind of preparing them to head off uh, to, his, to, to die on a cross and, and leave them to continue his ministry. And so he's laying it out there for him. And this is what he says, starting in verse 5. He says, yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will bear much fruit. So far, so good. But then he drops a bomb on them. And we read this verse and sometimes we think, oh yeah, that's true. Right? And then we go and live our lives as if it's completely the opposite. Jesus says, Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Apart from me you can do nothing. That might just be the most offensive thing that Jesus has ever said to anyone. Especially in our American culture, it's offensive because it goes against our very nature. The message that we get from early on that, that we need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and, and figure this out. If you can't trust anybody else, then you trust yourself. I mean, think about it. We're a nation of rebels. Don't you just love that? Right? Our nation was founded because another country tried to control us and we threw their tea in the harbor. Right? We said, we aren't going to take any of that. So we kicked them out. We said, we don't need anybody to tell us what to do. Taxation without representation. 
We can do it ourselves. And it's true for us today. And I got to tell you, we aren't the only people. We have plenty of brothers and sisters in the Bible, right? God said, don't eat the fruit. What did we do? We ate the fruit. God said, only worship me. What did we do? We made a golden calf. God said, trust me. Let me be your king. I will lead you. What did we do? We said, oh, we want Saul to be a king, right? We said, we can do it ourselves. We know best. It's who we are. And God says, trust me. Let me do it for you. That's what God is saying to you today. Let me do it for you. But what do we do? We press on and we thirst for control, for approval, and we exhaust ourselves both physically and emotionally. And again, the truth is that it's killing us. So what does Jesus have to say about all of this? I'll come back to John 15 in a second, but he's got something to say in Mark 6, 31. As he's hanging out with his disciples, again, he's showing them the way to live, the way to follow him. In the midst of a chaotic season, he offers them an invitation. This is Mark 6, 31. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all that they had done and taught. They've just been on this high. They've been out there and they've been nailing it. And Jesus says to them in the midst of this success, all these things going on, Jesus says, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Have you ever been there where you didn't have time to eat? So Jesus says, if we're that busy, then I need to offer you physical rest. Come away and let's find a quiet place and rest a while. But in John 15, he offers them something more, not just rest, not just physical rest, but he offers them rest for their souls. And if I could sum it up in just a couple words, John 15, this passage for today, you could boil it down to this, let go and let God. Easier said than done though, right? Let go and let God. But I'll let Jesus speak for himself. This is what he says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit. So they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you And then he gets to the good part, verse 4, remain in me. That Greek word there is meno. Everybody say meno. Meno. It's a Greek word. It means to remain or to abide, to stay with. And that is what Jesus is asking, that we would stay with him, that we would listen to his voice, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless... You remain in me. And then he goes on and he again says, apart from me, you can do nothing. When I read a passage like this, a lot of times I go and I say, God, what do you want me to do? If I'm trying to figure out how do I find rest, I'm going to go to the scriptures and I want to figure out what am I supposed to do to feel more rested, right? Doesn't that just sound like a recipe for disaster? Trying to do a bunch of things to find rest. And I think that's why, in part, that Jesus doesn't start with the to-dos. Go back and look at the beginning of this passage. Right? I love this about Jesus. I love this. He doesn't start with the what. He starts with the who. 
the first words of this passage, I am the true grapevine. He talks about himself and then immediately he goes to his father. My father is the gardener. You want rest? It's almost like he's saying, if you want rest, then remember who your heavenly father is. And that's my question for you this morning. Do you know who your heavenly father is? Right? Do you know that we have a father who loves us, who teaches us, who takes care of us, who wants us to live our potential? That's who he is. And so he does what good dads do. My dad, my dad brought me chocolate milk in the morning sometimes when I didn't eat breakfast and and miss the bus going to school. He'd bring me chocolate milk for breakfast. I don't know why I remember that. You probably could think about things your parents have done for you too. But there's something about fathers, and I understand not all of us have the most positive father experience, but what would it look like to let God define that role for us? To understand that he is our father who nurtures, protects, who stewards and teaches us. If you want to find rest, then go to your father. Because he's the one that can bring it to you. And as we dig into this passage, we begin to see that Jesus has given us a powerful image of what it means to teach us to find rest. Right? The passage says, God is the gardener. We are the branches. All right? God is the gardener. We are the branches. And not just any kind of branches. I wish you all could have seen me cutting this out of the bush in my front yard at 6 a.m. this morning. Right? We are the branches. Now, this one happens to be disconnected from the vine. And I can already tell it's starting to change color. But he's saying that we are, he is the vine, we are the branches, Jesus is the gardener. He's the one that takes care of us and we have branches. We are branches that are designed to bear fruit. This makes sense, right? It's the way that we are created. That's why we started in Genesis this morning. But the way that God grows us so that we continue to bear more fruit is not, right? Bearing fruit makes sense. But the way that God comes into our lives and helps us find this rest and to bear more fruit, it doesn't. In fact, it's counterintuitive, and that's because God prunes us. You go back to verse 2. It says right in there that he prunes us so that we can bear more fruit. And so this morning, as I thought I could tell you about pruning, right, but I think the reality is that sometimes it, maybe we've been pruned. Like maybe you've had things in your life where, where a relationship has suddenly just vanished. Maybe you had a job one day and the next day that you didn't. Right? Maybe there's things in your life that God has, all of a sudden you haven't had quite the passion for as you did before. What if that's God that's pruning you? Forcing you or inviting you to rest so you can grow in a different way. Sounds really easy. But the reality is that pruning isn't exactly easy all the time. Can you hold this for me? Because the reality is when pruning happens, tools like this begin to show up, right? Yeah, exactly. Some of you looked at me twice when I walked in this morning with this, right? I'm going gonna, gonna to try not to hit you with this, okay? I mean, does this, does this look painless to you? Right? I bet the branch wouldn't be saying that. Thank you. Let's give her a round of applause. Right? But the reality is that pruning is tough stuff. And yet that's part of what God wants to do for us. And in fact, it's the strategy that God has for us to move from the kind of people who run around like crazy all the time to the kind of people who begin to work from our rest rather than 
rest from our work. And so the reality is, as you look at this, there are seasons where God is pruning us, but there's also seasons where we're growing. Both of these seasons, seasons of work, seasons of rest, are good. Both are, God, are part of God's plan. But some of us are just saying this morning, I don't want to be pruned. God, I don't want you to take this away, and yet sometimes God takes it away from us anyway. And so we move from these seasons of work to rest. And what happens is what you see up here on this illustration, what you have on the top of this are the seasons that we're in, right? The seasons, sometimes we're abiding as it talks about, or we're remaining with God. Those are seasons of rest. And sometimes we're in seasons of fruitfulness and work. And what happens is we begin to swing back and forth between those. And I think that's the perfect image for this because if you, if you swing, here's the reality, if you swing too far over onto the work side, what happens to you? Right? I used to go on the galleon in Adventureland. Anybody ever go on that boat in Adventureland? And I always wanted that sucker to go all the way over and see if it would come all the way around and crash back in. Right? I thought, why don't they just design it to do one of those things? Well, that's what happens if we swing too far into the work side. Right? Eventually, one way or another, whether it's by our choice or by God's wisdom, our bodies give way and we crash back into rest. And when we move from seasons of work where we're doing things into seasons of rest, we call that pruning. We move from rest into work, we call that growth. And the reality is that right now you're in one of those seasons or another. You're either in a rest and in an abiding, right, a pruning season, or you're moving the other way into growth and you're getting ready to step into newer and bigger things that God has for you. And so we begin to swing back and forth in this rhythm, Right? Think of it as a pendulum that's swinging. And what happens as we go through that is that a rhythm emerges. And we begin to get this heartbeat that aligns with our fathers, again, that calls us to rest, to work from our rest rather than to rest from our work. And it's a daily rhythm. It's a weekly rhythm. And it's even an annual rhythm, reminding us how we are supposed to live. So how do we find this true rest? Like I said a little bit ago, we remember who our father is. But we also accept the invitation that he had for us in Mark chapter 6 and his invitation to come and rest, that is to put the right fuel in our tank. And I want to close with this. As a farm boy, I had the opportunity a lot of times to, to learn valuable lessons, including why it's important to put the right fuel in the tank. And that's because as an elementary age student, my dad said, hey, Andy, you're the guy. It's your turn to go out and mow that yard. And he had, it wasn't, it was kind of a, a mower, but it looked almost more like a tractor. He said, here's the tractor, right? Here's the mower. Here's the yard. Over there is the fuel tank. When you run out of gas, go fill it up and keep going. There are acres to be mowed here, right? So I did what any elementary school age kid would do. I went and got on there. I started that thing up and I loved driving it around. And eventually though, as I'm going, the fuel lights comes on, right? And so I go over and I think, all right, well, my dad told me about this. I just have to drive over there. I'll fill it up with gas. What he didn't tell me was that there were two types of fuel, two types of fuel. I mean, I knew that there were tractors and there were trucks, right? And I knew that one took diesel and one took unleaded, right? What I didn't know is that I was a truck. I thought that I was a tractor. And so in this tractor that happened to run on unleaded fuel, I pumped 11 gallons of diesel fuel. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. 
I had no idea that that much black smoke could come out of the back of such a tiny engine. Right? I had no idea. I mean, the fireworks were amazing. I was having the time of my life. I'd never heard an engine sound like gunshots were going off before as it sputtered and rocked and cranked around. I had no idea that it was going to be that much fun. And it was fun until I came back across my dad and said, what are you doing? And I could tell as he walked towards me with that look on his face, we were about to have a come to Jesus meeting. (laughs) And we did. And we did. And that day I learned a very valuable lesson, right? What you put in the tank matters. And that's my question for you this morning is what are you putting in the tank? How full is your tank? Are you running on fumes or are you overflowing? I mean, maybe, maybe it's time to start asking those questions. Maybe it's time to start slowing down and saying, God, what do you think of me? God, what is it that you want to say to me? Maybe it's time for us to slow down to have an experience like we're about to have as I want to invite you to watch this video time to slow down and find some rest. Let's take a look. Doesn't that feel good? Everybody do this with me. Take a deep breath in. And let it out. You guys were really good at that. I think we need to do that again. One more time. Breathe in. And breathe out. It's almost like we were created to be people who work from our rest rather than rest from our work. And this is something that Jesus understood. And I think it's why in the Gospel of Matthew, as he's again giving instructions to his disciples, I think why he... uh, He's having a heart-to-heart with them, and he finally comes to the point, and he just says, not just only to them, but to the crowds, he offers this invitation yet again to come and find some rest. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heaven burdens, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle in heart. And here's the good part, you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and my burden is light Jesus knew that we were going to struggle with this idea of rest and that we would need to be pruned that we'd swing back and forth between abiding and and being fruitful bearing fruit he knew that we would need rest not just for our bodies but for our souls and so that is why Jesus went to the cross so that we can live in the freedom the life that we were created to be And it's for that same reason that in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this and eat it. And do this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat it, eat it in remembrance of me. And so Jesus offered his body so that we can experience rest but not only his body his blood as well and so again after supper he took the cup and when he blessed it and again had given thanks he said this blood is a new covenant 
formed in my blood, shed for you and for all people, again, for all people, for the forgiveness of sins. And I like to think as Jesus was there and he was teaching that night, he desired to see a look of rest on their face. As they celebrated that meal together, as they took the bread and the wine together. And so after that, Jesus, as his disciples were saying, Lord, how do we pray? He began to give them the instructions. And so let's stand together and let's say our table, gra- our grace is a part of this because the invitation today is from the Lord. His, his disciples said, Lord, how do we pray? In other words, how do we find rest? Jesus taught them a powerful way to seek that in the Lord's prayer. And so let's pray that together this morning. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.